I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Are you ready, my friend? I am so ready. So, Selma, after you and I spoke a few weeks ago in New York, you told me there were some important points that you wanted to add to our conversation, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I wanted to address your comments during our interview that Harvey Weinstein threatened to break the kneecaps of that uh, (laughs) C word, meaning you. And then we had the debate over C being bigger than B, worse than B. Anyway, during your work together on the film Frida, your comments made news from that interview that we did last week. In response, a spokesperson for Harvey Weinstein issued a statement. It was a long statement, too, saying that Mr. Weinstein apologizes for his boorish behavior. First time I've heard that in an apology from him. I find this whole statement really interesting. Listen to this. He says, as in most collaborative projects, there was creative friction on Frida. And in this case, it served to drive the project to perfection. It wasn't an easy process. And Mr. Weinstein apologizes for the way he may have approached the situation. He hopes all involved can at least agree that the movie was fantastic. Mr. Weinstein apologizes for his boorish behavior following a screening of Frida, prompted by his disappointment in the cut of the movie and a reason he took a firm hand in the final edit. Mr. Weinstein never fought with Ms. Hayek on set, and this comment does not reflect how he feels about her. He doesn't recall ever saying such an awful thing. Over the 20-plus years since the movie's success, Ms. Hayek and Mr. Weinstein's daughters have had playdates. Their families have enjoyed time together when running into each other on vacations. And the two have had dinners where they pitched and discussed projects, such as Ms. Hayek's asking Harvey to distribute her movie Evelyn and Mr. Weinstein pitching her a remake of The Lives of Others with Penelope Cruz about a South American dictatorship. Nevertheless, Mr. Weinstein deeply apologizes to Ms. Hayek for any pain she has suffered as a result of his behavior or comments. Mr. Weinstein has great respect for her as an actress and a producer and thinks there are many more Fridas for her to produce in the future and that she doesn't need anyone to help her. She's terrific by herself. That's the end of quote. Oh my God. I find that interesting. <laughs> I find that interesting, don't you? Yes, and I did tell you that I do think... You earned his respect. I do know that. And I never asked him to distribute Everly, but I think he ended up buying it without me being a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I do remember having a conversation. At some point, he, he mentioned the life of others. And I remember saying, it's a perfect film, don't touch it. But we never worked together again. One of the so that's an apology though. That's an apology. That's do you, do you, do you, yes, and one of the things that was painful about writing, not only writing what I wrote, but about everything that's going on, is that I often thought of his daughters, who are lovely, and oh. that's why if you see in the piece that I wrote, I do call him a loving father. 
because he was a he was a loving father, as far as you knew. As far as I knew, yes, absolutely. Mr. Weinstein deeply apologizes to Ms. Hayek for any pain she has suffered as a result of his behavior or comments. Mr. Weinstein apologizes for his boorish behavior. Do you accept his apology? I do. I do. And what will that mean for you? It means that um, there is a lot of room for change. And as I told you at the Apollo, that I really think it already happened, the change. It is. People are thinking about things differently. Destiny is a funny thing, because maybe if it's not for Harvey, all these centuries of, of acceptance of this sexual harassment for women in the workplace wouldn't have come to the light and be examined like it is today. Well, yes, had the fallout and the scandal and all of this. And when I read that full statement, I just read this this afternoon. I was like, whoa. And, and it sounds sincere. Yes, it does. It sounds it does. sincere. Is there room for forgiveness for all of the I alleged him. charges? You forgive him? Yes. Even for wanting to break your kneecaps or shoot them or Listen, bend them or it's, <laughs> destroy it's probably, them? It's one of the many gangsters saying that he talked to, uh, you know, he talked like that. And it's, it's not right. Mm-hmm. But, and um, so you were saying when you were writing your piece for the New York Times that you had his daughters in mind also. Yes, of course. They're girls, too. Mm-hmm. I feel for them. I can't help it. I think that maybe this is the most painful thing for him of what's happening to him. Mm-hmm. Must be, he must be thinking of his daughters. I mean, I think he's learned. I mean, I'm not... I'm not justifying it. Let's not get confused. Mm-hmm. But I, I think of them, too. I think of them. Has your baby girl been playing with them since all of this happened? No, they're different ages. No, they were not play dates. I mean, he, uh, he has a boy with Regina smaller than Valentina, and I just did meet those girls in the world of Tarantino. And, and Robert, mm-hmm. I did meet them. I, I did run into them eventually and see them grow. I like kids. So even in situations where, you know, it was maybe adults are talking, and I'm always playing and talking with the kids. It's just mm-hmm. my nature. So You're that person. I, 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 did, <laughs> I did talk to them every opportunity I got. And uh, they're lovely girls. This is true. What do you think should happen to Harvey Weinstein at this point? It's not for me to say or decide. I am more interested in what should happen in the future for men and women. This is not about mm-hmm. one person. Out of all these, there's something positive. We are taking conscience of a problem that we looked away from. And to me, that's what's important. That's the only thing that's important. And we have to do it with responsibility. I asked you in, the, in New York if you'd ever been harassed by anyone before Harvey, and you said yes, but we didn't have time in that moment to talk about your experiences of sexual harassment as a girl or as a younger woman. What do you want to say about that? When was the first time you recall being harassed? Well, the first time, it's a very important memory because 
I'm not going to talk about all the terrible things that have happened to me as a woman, and some really bad ones have happened. But it's for me to learn from them and evolve from them. And I don't like to be talking about all my victimizations and all the bad things that have happened to me in the public. There are some things right. that I, I believe that should be private and we should learn from them. And I have learned a lot from them, and I've turned them into positive things to the best of my ability, even if it's for extra empathy for others. But I remember something happened to me when I was about 10 that is not tragic, but it's important. There was a flasher in my town, and I was walking to my house from school, and this guy, in like a trench coat, flashed me and showed me his penis. And of course, when you are 10, this is the most horrific thing that you can see. Things change later in life. But at this age, it's, it's something terrible. And I ran, and I was terrified, and I was so shocked and shaking. And my Aunt Charo, who I adore and lived with us, she said to me, calm down. She said, don't be afraid. Now, this might not be the best of advice and it must be even dangerous advice. Mm -hmm. But she said to me, if you confront him again, don't, don't run. Don't be scared. Don't act scared. What you have to do is point at it and start laughing at him. <laughs> and this is going to be very scary. But you have to do it. Don't show him your fear. Laugh at his penis. The weapon that he wants to use to scare you, you laugh at it. And then he loses his power because he's doing it to create this reaction. But if you don't have this reaction, you're not afraid, even if you are, if you show him you're not afraid, he loses the power. And it happened. Wow. And I did it. I stopped, I looked wow. at it, and I laughed, and I pointed it, and I laughed. I was shaking inside. I was terrified, but I did it. And he cowered away immediately. Wow. And it was so wow. powerful because he taught me, when you stand your ground and you're not afraid because you're not in the wrong. It makes you run, run like something's terrifying and you did something wrong. When you stand your ground and you decide not to be afraid, the power shifts from them to you. And it was wow. a very powerful lesson for a 10-year-old. Whether you're laughing at penises or whether you're laughing in, you know, from a ridiculous offer that you've been given, uh, you know, for your business or whether you're laughing at... Racism or an insult. Yes, or an insult. They do that to take away your power. We have to learn not to give it away. And and I, I think also this is why, I, and I write it in my article, I never showed him my fear. My pain. I was strong. Harvey, you mean? Harvey, you yes. mean? Yes. It helps. It's not that uh, you scream back. Or, I mean, it depends. I mean, it's, it's really difficult to know what to do. But I do think that if they don't smell the fear, they don't bite. Like the dogs. Oh, uh, my goodness. So your aunt taught you that about mm -hmm. men. Had she experienced harassment or been sexually assaulted? I don't know. But do I couldn't know? believe it worked. Yeah. 
he cowered <laughs> away. He walked away. He kind of ran away. Actually, I was embarrassed to tell you, but she she made me make a sign with my fingers that it was little, even oh, if it wasn't. I actually don't remember if, if I did that or not. I don't remember if I did that much. But I don't remember oh, me telling goodness. me that and me not even understanding really why. But she said, just do it. And it worked. And, you know, I, he never came around again. And so did you use that lesson for other experiences where so people tried times. to take away your power? So many times yes. in my life. So would many Would you times. physically laugh or what would you do? No. You just Well, sometimes I did use a little humor. Sometimes I did mm-hmm. use to deflate the tension for the bullies, you know? Yes. And it's worked for me. You have to be smart how to do it. You have to know how to do it. I, I've used it with racism a lot. And it works because they're trying awesome. to because they're trying to feel superior. They're trying to make you feel less. And if you refuse to feel less, they can't get their hit of superiority. If you engage Absolutely. in the fight there is it's a conversation. If it's simply ridiculous, there's no com- there's no conversation. There's, you can't engage. They can't engage. They can't hook you on it. It's the same reason exactly why when I was hate-tweeted the other day by the president, he called me insecure. And someone asked me, uh, Jimmy Kimmel just asked me last night, did it ever occur to me to tweet back? And I thought, not a second, not a second do you give that any power. Not a second. Exactly. I find that laughable that he would call you insecure. And you know what? You are so right. And maybe he was waiting for you to respond, and he never got it. So So let's switch gears and talk about something hopeful. What gives you hope for this country's future? I really do think the the girls. I think that girls and, and women. I think that the students in Florida, for the first time, we've heard them talk like never before. I think the ripple effect of women coming out and talking and being heard for the first time and society looking for justice for women, it's given people now, the younger generations, these girls, the courage to also speak their voice. What do you think women can do to further the groundswell movement that is happening right now? What do you think women can do? To further it? It's a groundswell. Mm Mm-hmm. I think all we have to do is shine. I think all we have to do is take this opportunity and show everything that we can do in whatever field that we are. I think that there will be room for now people to see our value. It's not just talking about it, which is important. It's to remember that it is our time to shine, to show what we can offer to thrive and be the best that we can be at everything that we do so we can continue to be seen and discovered and so that we can make our contributions in ideology, I mean, all kinds of, you know, realms of life, science, you know, philosophy, Mm -hmm. politics, in everything. We need to take this opportunity and show who we are so that we can continue to be seen. And once they continue to see us, then nobody can take our voice away because we actually do have a lot to offer. Absolutely. And what about the men? Because when we started this conversation, you said it's about the women and the men at this moment. I'm excited. I'm excited for men. Because? Because I think it's the beginning of their curiosity to maybe figure out who we are. 
for men to figure out who we are as women. Yes. And I think it gives hopes to life because I think if you respect women, it's the beginning to respect life itself. We are the givers oh, of life. You're right about that. And, and I think a lot of guys are confused, though. We talked about this a little yes, bit. They don't, they, yes. they're, yeah, they're looking at, what have I done? Have I said something? Cross the line? Am I going to be next? Yes. Once you start respecting life itself, you're less violent. Your decisions are not so egotistically only about yourself, but about prolonging life. You touch your humanity. If men that hate women have to hate themselves a lot because they are coming from a woman. It's a cycle. It, it is a possibility for us to look at life in a completely different way, men and women. What I always say, try to look for different solutions to the problems that we keep repeating and we keep repeating the bad solution. You know, because all we hear about these days is how this is such a tough time for our country, for the world, a dark time, even a scary time. Do you agree? Do you think it's things are as bad as a lot of people say it seems? I think it may be in some ways, but I also think that sometimes for the real change, you have to touch bottom. We knew that America was racist, but most people didn't know to what degree. The truth coming out helps us address what is the reality of things and start a process. So exactly. we, are, we are living in really hard times. I think we see some glimpses of how hard it is. I actually think it's even worse. I mean, I'm really worried about the refugee crisis. I think people don't really have a grasp of how big that is. It's millions and millions and millions of people. And what happens if all of those DACA children have to be removed from the United States? I mean, that will be... Oh, my God. That won't happen. I really am optimistic. I am both. I am shocked every day. I hear something and I'm shocked actually every day. But I do remain optimistic because sometimes I find in the news really sad things and also things that really move me. Like when you see a natural catastrophe, everybody comes together. So sometimes hitting bottom makes people come together. I mean, there will be a time where we're going to have to come together because when global warming and the ecological problems that we're going to confront, if they continue to develop like they have been, we're going to have to come together because otherwise we won't survive. I hope we smarten up and come together before it's too late. What's the lesson that's taken you personally the longest to learn in your life? The lesson you had to keep repeating, keep repeating, and it took you the longest to learn. I'm very hard on myself. And not too long ago, I realized I detect what I want to change. And then I disappoint myself. I don't change it right away, you know. But mm -hmm. it takes time for change. And I've noticed that if you really look, there are things that I don't even remember that I was doing before and I didn't like doing them because I've changed so profoundly that I don't even remember I was like that anymore. And when I'm hard on myself, I have to remind myself that if I continue to believe in me and to be positive and to be kind to myself and to others, one day it will come, the changes that I want about myself. One day it will come. 
if you disappoint yourself, sometimes you give up. Do you have and a you... practice, a spiritual practice, a daily no. routine? Not a specific no? one. I do have developed some breathing things that I do. And it's not necessarily a technique because sometimes I go with the flow. And I do feel the energy. I've experienced amazing things through it. But it was by myself. The, the strongest ones, I've tried different things. The strongest moments, and they have come lately. I have experienced something that you can only call magic. But I, I don't think I can talk about it because it would make sense to no one else. Okay. It's true. Magic in your life. Yes. I, oh, I know. In, I, listen, I, I in know my life you speak. And inside me, that has nothing to do with my life. Because the life is just a playground for the magical part of you to operate sometimes. But you can actually go away from it and go inside yourself. And you can really be with yourself when you are capable to disappear your life. Because we see life as reflections of your own image but you are not your image and that's what i call magic we have a moment mm. with that part of you that has nothing to do with how others see you or how you see yourself it's that moment where you just feel the presence of you without any relationship to anything or anyone except i don't know the infinite, or you can call it God, or, you know, pays, or whatever you want to call it, Every, when everything disappears. Hmm? Yes, when everything else disappears. So I was fascinated when we spoke earlier, and you actually talked about the power of being a beautiful woman and the expectations to hold that beauty forever. As you grow older and your beauty matures, and you mature, and are in touch with, as you just explained, these different layers and levels of the magic within yourself. How do you see aging and beauty? I have my days where I'm like, oh my God, look, I don't look in the mirror a lot. This is, I forget to look in the mirror. I think so, I'm like, always like so creative or, and so busy, I don't look in the mirror. And sometimes I look in the mirror and I go, oh, my God, what happened? And I have those moments. But overall... So are you conscious of it? Are you conscious of getting older and maturing and what that is doing to your looks? Most of the time, no. No. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes I do. I do and I go, oh, wow, maybe I should do some research. But... I can really free myself from it, which you have to be careful because you can go completely in the other direction and completely forget about that part. And it's good to do a little effort. It's part of self-caring and it's part of vanity. It's good. My, my grandmother used to say, vanity is not all that bad. But <laughs> so sometimes I wish I had a little bit more vanity, but... I like a lot of aspects of me that have nothing to do with the way I look. You just have to be careful that you're not too comfortable liking yourself too much in that way that you completely give up, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm okay to age. I'll do my best, you know. I'll try to age gracefully. I don't see, I mean, 
I know I have other things that I'm excited about, but it's not just me and the way I look and the way other people look at me. I have enough curiosity for life and for things. I have a lot of uh, passions that have nothing to do with the way I look. And I feel I've been really loved. I, I feel loved, and that helps a lot. But again, you cannot relax completely. Oh, he loves me, nah, no matter what. You gotta, you gotta like uh, keep the seduction going a little bit too. Because <laughs> let me tell you, I could go in that other direction. I could let myself just go. I could do. What do you do to take care of yourself? I could do more. Huh? I could do more. I do yoga. I like yoga. And but I also like food and wine. <laughs> and tequila, and mezcal, and uh, I like my carbs, I like my sugar, and then I don't like that I don't get in my clothes, and then I get really upset that it takes me longer to pack, which I already said. So it's, it's back and forth with the love affairs of my life, you know? I love my things, but I detest some other things that are the pay, the price to pay. And um, I sometimes go up and sometimes I go down and sometimes I'm really good, but I cannot keep it up forever. This is one of the things that I'm waiting for that change to happen and stay stable where I don't even have to think about it because I'm a disciplined person that is always only craving the things that are good for me. I haven't arrived at yet. Not going to happen. I Not mean, it can happen. happen for a period of time. But yes, then it does, I... for a period of time. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's going to happen. Maybe it's going to happen. So at this stage, this place where you are, what brings you the greatest joy and sense of accomplishment? My marriage. Mm. Because that's a great place to be in. And, and I know that not many people have it. But once you get there, it's very easy in there. Relationships are hard, and mine is not. I feel so blessed. I, I, Why is it not? Because you found the right person? Because you were the right person when you found him? Because I found definitely the right person. I, I think he's my soulmate. I think if I had hmm. found him before or him, he wouldn't have been the same. Maybe we wouldn't appreciate it. I don't know. Or maybe we would have, huh? Maybe we would have, but it is what it is. We found each other when we found each other, and everything is there. I mean, we complement each other incredibly well. The chemistry is great. We, have, we communicate. We care. I mean, everything is great. But I also think that the fact that if there is conflict, which usually is outside of the relationship, but we have to deal with it together, but if we don't agree on something, if there is conflict, if somebody messes up, we both have one thing in common in our personalities. And I think I learned to be more like that because of him, which is all the effort goes into the fixing, the learning, the moving forward. And I watch other couples that they first they look who to blame, whose fault is it? And then there's the resentment from some modified from before. And the energy goes into a direction that it's not productive. It's never about trying to hurt the other person or, no. It's about learning together 
conquering things together, being patient and loving with the other, making sure you love the other one when you're at fault. Because then when you make a mistake, you need extra love. If, if I make a mistake, I need extra love. Because I, I already <laughs> feel bad about my mistake. I'm not like defensive, like, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. No, oh my God, I did that. You know what I'm saying? So I really yes, think that... That's when you need... That's when you need a special, as Gail used to say to her kids, you get a special mummy hug for that. Yes. Yes, when you mess up, it's when you need someone to love you the most, when you don't succeed, when you fail, when, and then, of course, but you have to be able to appreciate that other person doing that for you. And you do when they do that, and then you want to be better because of it. But it's, I love it's, this it's, question I read in a, in a novel not too long ago. Has your life turned out the way you expected? No. So many people get disappointed and are really disappointed that their lives didn't turn out. The... Has your life turned out the way you expected? No, but it turned out a thousand times better than I expected now. However, there are things that I surprised because I thought they were going to be easier for me and they're harder than I expected. Like motherhood. You know, sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's little things that mean a lot. Motherhood is not a little thing. Oh, it's the biggest thing ever. It's the biggest thing ever. It's the thing that either makes or breaks or ruins. I question myself every day, please, God, I hope I said the right thing every minute. Oh, my God, I hope I I hope I made the right decision, you know, every second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's nerve-wracking. I have a lot of respect for anyone who's a mother. And so what has being a mother taught you about yourself? There was something so simple that we've all heard this advice, you know. It's so common sometimes you take it for granted. You cannot make everyone happy. And when you have, because I I have my daughter and then three stepchildren and then Everything else in life, you know, the work, my parents, my friends, uh, myself, the health, going through middle age, you know, every the exhaustion because by now is the 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 exhaustion becomes that ghost that you have to do everything while you're tired all the time, and this is the time where I find that I really. And and motherhood taught it to me better than anything else. It's okay not to be perfect. You cannot make everyone happy. It's time to really, really make peace with that. Because you can understand it, but not necessarily make peace with it. And I think I've I've had no other choice, but (laughs) I'm going to have to make peace with it now. You do your best. You never stop doing your best, but you cannot always make everyone happy. Because, especially because the kids, when they're not happy, they really let you know. Because <laughs> really they're smart. Because they are smart. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Because I, I thought that the story that you told me, that's worth coming back to do the interview before. That is a great story. The one the, about the, the guy the trench coat that was penis story. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's worth re- That's That's worth That's the one I wanted to tell you. I want to tell you one more story about Frida that is very, very inspiring. So when I I had this challenge to get all these actors that were at the top of their game for no money uh, to do a small part in my movie, (laughs) 
that it was almost impossible. Uh, the first person I called was Ashley, and uh, I was shaking. I was I hate asking for things. I detest it. Oh, I do too. Oof. What is I, that about us? I hate uh, it too. I just, oh, yeah. My stomach. Goes. Is it the rejection? Is it the rejection we feel, or is I don't want to put anybody out? I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to take advantage. I, I, I don't know. I, I have that thing it's too. Both. I still have that thing. It's both, and yes. and and also I'm terrible because I I don't want to ask, but then when I ask, I am terrified that they're gonna say yes out of a compromise, you know, out of a guilt or something, out of. A, Yes. A burden. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Oh, so if they say no, it's because of the rejection. If they say yes, I feel terrible that I'm burdening these people. So I was so afraid <laughs> to make the call. I was so embarrassed. Would you play a small part in my movie? Ashley Judd was the biggest star at the time. It, she was. She was having one hit after another, one of the highest paid women. And she was shooting, but she was a good friend. Ashley and I are still very close. I've always been very, very loving and appreciative of each other. And I called her, and I said, uh, do you have a minute? She goes, a minute. They're about to call me on set any second. And I said, okay, um, I said, remember that that <laughs> movie I've been trying to do about freedom? Yes, 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 what do you want? Well, I, I was going to ask you. Uh, uh, she goes, Salma, the answer is yes. No, no, but I was going to ask you if, if you could be... Yes, yes, the answer is yes. I already told you. They're calling me now. I go, Ashley, it's a small part. It's Tito Modotti. I have no money. She said, I'm sorry, I have to go. Just tell me where and when. I am there for you. You don't have to explain anything to me. Should I send you the script? If you want. It doesn't matter. I'm there for you. Tell me where and when. Bye. She hung up the phone. Oprah, I sobbed for hours. I still sob when I still cry <laughs> when I think about it. Mm. And I mean, and Edward, who was my boyfriend at the time, walked in the room. I'm crying and crying and crying. And it was also at the time where I was struggling with the depression because of the movie. I was really struggling with the depression. And he goes. You have to stop this. I mean, you we really have to get some help. You cannot live like this. And he thought I was hiding, crying, because also with my depression, I was hiding, not asking for help. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, I have a hard time with asking for help. And anyway, I said, just talk to Ashley. And he said, I barely could talk. And he said, it's okay. Somebody else will do it. I said, no. She said, yes. <laughs> and, and he goes, but then why are you crying? And I said to, to him, I don't know, but a deep sense of gratitude can be such a beautiful sensation that it's almost too much to take and it's overwhelming. So the body wow. has to get it out somehow because how do you pay them back? It's not painful crying, but it's like gratitude can be such a powerful beautiful, beautiful, euphoric experience. I feel so mm -hmm. sad for the people who are not grateful. They are missing yes. one of the most sublime sensations in life. And he said immediately, I'll, I'll play Rockefeller. I'll write the thing for free. And, <laughs> and it was just 
the next friend and the next friend and the and pulling favors from the government and the goodwill also for all I know I complained about the hard times but my god how fortunate I am all these impossible things that only a miracle could have made it happen and they happened to me maybe this also conditions me better to forgive and that and is why on. you could say I can accept his apology yes and let's move on let's go what is the next thing you know let's make the next thing beautiful how do we focus right. in this conflict like with my husband how do we fix it how do we move on how do we make it beautiful and better this life this chance this change thank you selma thank you so much oh Proper. thank you so much for that that was beautiful beautiful I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>